just want to make sure everyone's set. Brother Gary, I think we're good. What did you do? You didn't record that, did you? <laughs> oh, praise God. <laughs> we um, like to welcome you to uh, week four of our study for the Beatitude series. What is our attitude? Or rather, what should our attitude be according to the word of God? These are the precepts and concepts, statutes and ordinances of the Lord as he gave to the multitude at the mount from St. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. These fitly intertwined with all of the scripture can bring us to be a perfect man, a perfect woman. Um, anyone who needs paper, pen, just raise your hand. One of us will get it for you. Uh, just as a reminder, this series, the first three sessions and these latter three are all going to be recorded. They'll all be posted online. Anyone that would like to uh, uh, hear the recordings again or maybe couldn't hear all, all six of them. Our opening text is Psalms chapter 119 and verse 2. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. Giving during breakout sessions, tithe, offering, transform, truth will be the same as we've talked about before. You can give at the Truth Church Center app. There will also be an usher at the door uh, when we're dismissed and you can give uh, as you're leaving the sanctuary. God loves a cheerful giver. So as you give, give willingly, not out of necessity. God loves that gift from a willing heart. A heart of love, adoration for him. You can never outgive God. As all things, let's start with prayer for the three sessions for uh, Brother Jonathan, Brother Jordan, myself, that the Lord would anoint each of us to speak his word in truth with boldness and drenched in love. Let's pray for our offerings and for those in need in prayer. We we'll continue to hold up Sister Ginger, Brother Gilbert, the entirety of the Gilbert Homes, and really every minister. There is a high calling for the ministers and their families in Exodus chapter 17, verse 11 and 12, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalekite prevailed. But Moses' hand were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the left and the other on the right, on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Israel prevailed when the church held up the hands of the man of God. Are there any other needs in the church before we start praying? Your brother, okay. Lord, we, uh, we come before you just in adoration and trust and awe of you, knowing that you are God alone. As we uh, prepare this, this fourth session of the breakout series, every session has just been precious. Your word, your, your, the meanings and your spirit and just the glory of God that just rests in each service and each time and each meeting and the fellowship of the brethren is, is just precious, Lord. I ask you, Lord, that you would cover each of these needs, Lord, cover our family members, our homes, and all these, God, that are dealing with sickness and infirmities and issues, and, and Lord, the things that matter in the realms of life and death, eternity in heaven and eternity in hell, and I, I'm thankful, God, for every time you perform a miracle, but I'm more grateful, God, for every time that you save someone that they might live and not die. In this house today, God, I ask you to anoint my lips and tongue and that you, God, would lead and guide and instruct me and put a watch in my mouth where I need to keep it closed and grant me boldness to speak where you would have me speak. 
And I don't pray that just for myself, but I ask that for every person in this sanctuary. That you, God, would grant your people boldness. Boldness in their homes, boldness in their jobs and schools and the restaurants and wherever. Grant your people boldness, God, in your presence, in your spirit, in your glory. Wash us of everything of this world. God, I pray, Lord, from the crown of the head to the sole of the feet that you would let fresh oil fall upon each of us here tonight. Don't let this just be a midweek breakout session where we're coming and talking for an hour and we leave the same as we came. But let tonight, God, be a, a fresh anointing from your precious throne. God, cover us and saturate us in your glory. Put your hand, I pray, upon each of our families. Brother Gilbert and Elder Gilbert, Brother Jonathan, Brother Jordan, each of these these men, I pray that you would cover, that you protect and lead and guide after the counsel of your goodwill. Let your name be exalted in every one of our lives. Everyone say in Jesus' name. We, uh, I hope that's okay. You know, we, we can rush into prayer and jump right into study, but is this something about lingering in prayer? and lingering in his presence. And uh, if the Lord is gracious and kind, we're going to finish Matthew chapter 5 today and start into prayer today, which will, to be honest with you, the rest of today once we get there and all of next week and the week after will be almost completely dedicated to prayer and fasting. Just almost 100% of it. Uh, because this is for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry that we might be equipped and strengthened. So let's continue where we left off last uh, uh, two weeks ago. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. And again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. The word forswear is used one time in the entirety of the Bible, and that word forswear means to commit perjury, to make oneself a liar under oath to not do what one says they'll do, to lie and to make a lie. Now, because a lie and making a lie is a heaven or hell issue, I purpose to spend a little bit of time here before we go to the next verse. So I pray you bear with me because this can be a heaven or hell issue, and it's critical for us. The first recorded lie in the Bible was when the serpent was seducing Sister Eve and told her she would not die by eating the fruit. The devil's a liar. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. But we know by eating the forbidden fruit, thereby rebelling against God. And rebellion is what? As a sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. By rebelling, ushered in two deaths, the physical death and a spiritual death. The first recorded lie by mankind was when Cain lied to God and said he knew not where his brother was, but he did, for he had murdered him. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. And one of the last things God says about the word lie is that nothing that maketh a lie can enter heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. Making a lie goes to our thoughts and motives and intentions, our actions and reactions. We're back to our attitude, whether it be right or wrong, good or evil, our attitude, how we carry ourselves. If a person is asked, did you speak to so-and-so, and they say, no, I didn't speak to them today, or they shrug their shoulders implying they didn't, but they really talked to them yesterday. They have made a lie. 
But the question wasn't, did you speak to them on a certain day, but did you speak to them? I pray this makes sense because this is for the perfecting of the saints and that we fall not into a snare. Hmm. These type of responses only pacify the flesh and carnal mind. A cloak to make oneself think we're dealing honestly. How many, how many have ever been at a place and you're in a conversation and you just don't know what to say and things go dead silence and silence, people want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Okay. If we answer questions with our words or body language that is not truth or just imply something that is not truth, then we have been as the deceiver and the truth is not in us. Boy, it was silent. There is no such thing as a half-truth. There is no such thing as a little white lie. Every lie is wide as the valley, as tall as the mountain. We find Abram and his wife concealing that she was his wife, resulting in Pharaoh's house being plagued, Genesis chapter 12. And again, Abraham and his wife concealed in the same manner to Abimelech. And God met him in a dream and told Abimelech that he was a dead man, for she was Abraham's wife and he was a prophet, Genesis chapter 20. And what did Abraham's son Isaac do? But he followed the exact same example of his father. He said the same thing of Rebekah, his wife. She's my sister, but it was his wife, Genesis chapter 26. How many parents do we have in the room? Okay, so you're the parents, everyone else is soon to be parents. Years down the road, decades, whatever. Um, we as parents set the example for what our kids should and shouldn't do. And how we carry ourselves is our example to our kids. Do we deal honestly? Do we deal with integrity, uprightness of character? How do we carry ourselves? Because our kids are gonna watch us and that's our example. Abraham's son's a great example. He watched his dad and what did he do? He followed the example of what his dad did. She's not my wife, she's my sister. But it was his wife. We have a charge as parents to set the right example for our kids. You know, we don't realize that they watch everything we do. And we don't realize that behind our backs they're secretly imitating us often, consciously and subconsciously, because your mama or your daddy, they're gonna watch how you act and react and how you deal with life and issues. Every lie disguised truth can not only affect us, but affect all the others around us. Abimelech did not sin against God, and he never touched Abraham's wife, but God was ready to kill him because she belonged to another man. She was the wife of another man. And because he was a prophet of God. He said, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Those hard questions. Have you ever been asked a hard question or a very personal question that you just did not want to answer? Maybe you didn't feel liberty because whoever was asking you, you just didn't feel liberty. It wasn't comfortable. Whatever we answer has to be with truth 
and cannot be with a, a lie or half-truth or a little white lie. Let's move forward and maybe the answer, how do we handle this and deal with this, is just a little bit ahead. Now, knowing the fullness of this text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, is not just about forswearing, purging ourselves, lying. But it's in conjunction with keeping oaths to the Lord, which brings us to vows and oaths. And for your study notes, Numbers chapter 30 is dedicated to oaths and vows. Whether it be uh, a daughter at home making a vow and the, and the father uh, agreeing with it or not agreeing with it and so forth. There's a set guidelines there in Numbers chapter 30. It's good for you, your family, to read that, understand what does God say about oaths and vows. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 and 6, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error, wherefore God should be angry at thy voice and destroy the works of thine hands. It is better to not hastily make a vow or promise to God unless you know without a doubt you can keep it during any t season and time and storm that may arise in your life. For once it's spoken out of the lips, then it is the law of God, law to God of your commitment. You speak it, God, I promise this, it is law enacted, and God will not hold you guiltless. Vows are very critical. Let's continue. For some vows, it is better to pray and study, weigh the matter, understanding that the time and season now will not always be. You won't always be in a valley. It's not always going to be everything's broken and destitute. I say this for some. Some, in a moment of crisis, have promised to God, I will or will not do this or that, but they were not strong or mature enough to make the vows they made, and they became sick. And I don't mean sick physically, I mean spiritually sick because of making a vow they were not mature enough to make. Brothers and sisters, never make a vow for a person who is compelling you to do so. Each person must determine on their own when and if to vow. Even from this pulpit, if some young minister comes in and says, I want everyone to vow this and that, you know the scripture. Once it's out of your lips, it's law. Making a vow is not a bad thing, but it's a very cautionary thing we should not jump and just do. And last for vows, and well, to vow unto the Lord and keep it is not sin. To not vow unto the Lord is not sin. But to vow and not keep the vow, that is sin. So I'm going to do something I have never done ministering and teaching, but I've really felt this for weeks to do this today not just for those here, but those who are listening, someone who maybe have made a vow that they just weren't, they weren't there. And because of that, there's some suffering spiritually. So please don't raise your hands to what I'm about to ask for the question is between you and God alone. Have you ever made a vow unto God in haste, not realizing you had not weighed if you were strong enough to bear or even keep it for every time and season? Maybe made a vow in a valley where vision is blurred, a desperate plea in a valley grasping for anything to pull you up higher. Anyone ever been in a desperate place? You see, in the valley, you cannot see clearly. 
and you cannot see. And if you can't see clearly, you can't make good judgments and good decisions. How many has ever been standing on a mountaintop, a high hill? You can see quite a bit more around you, right? But in the valley, your, your vision is obscured. You can't see as much. You can't see as clear. I say, not the Lord, but I say there are times and seasons that it is much wiser to wait to vow until you are through the valley of the shadow of darkness. There are times that desperate prayers are necessary, and we must offer these deep prayers to God in the times of crisis, but we must be careful what we say to God at all times and what we say and do in the sanctuary. So I want to pray something, and then we're going to move forward. And like I said, I've never done this in over 20 years since God anointed me. But I felt like this was important for right here and now. And uh, if it's not for you, praise God. Let this not be for any vows you have to God that you're able to keep and that you're mature enough to keep. Let it not be for those. Keep those unto God. Lord, I ask you right now, under the sound of my voice, and those who are going to listen to this recording, if there are any that whenever I asked the question about they had made a vow that maybe they should not if they were not mature enough or strong enough and they made a haphazard vow in those times of desperation, I ask you, Lord, this very hour that you would forgive and loose them of those things they cannot bear lest they die lost. I pray, O oh God, that you would anoint these, God, that are in that sect area, those people that are in that place, anoint them, God, with fresh oil from heaven. Let them be refreshed and renewed. In numbers you talked about, if the, if the daughter underage makes a vow and the father hears it and doesn't agree, he can disannul it and she's forgiven. Today, I'm asking you, God, for the places where anyone under the sound of my voice may have made a vow that they could not keep, it was not right. I ask you, Lord, as you being our Heavenly Father, that you would wash it away, that it would never be mentioned again. Grant God a fresh start right here and right now in this sanctuary. In Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 5, verse 34 and 36. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. And we're not even going to talk about hair coloring right now, okay? Because <laughs> we all know in 2021, praise God, but this text is still true. The word swear means to take an oath or declare on a oath. Oath means a limit. A sacred restraint. We're talking about under God. When God commands to swear not at all, not by heaven or earth or even the hairs of your head, this in its simplicity is because everything that is belongs to God. How can mortal man swear by something that does not belong to him? Sir, ma'am, you are not your own. You belong to God, purchased with his blood so that you might live. This comes to the tongue, which 
for mankind is so quick to utter things with no thought, no reason, or sound doctrine. In the flesh, humanity is quick to make promises and great boastings of things they cannot control and have no authority or power to speak to, that is to say, in our flesh. The Lord says, swear not at all. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So thinking about this leading up to this text, he says, don't first swear, don't swear at all, not by you, earth, heaven, your hairs, anything. And this leads into 537, which says, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For anything more than that is evil. What did I ask a few minutes ago? Have you ever been in a conversation that got quiet and people just started talking and that extra communication doesn't always benefit us, but it could dig a hole for us. Just for your study notes, James chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 echoes the same from St. Matthew. Now, knowing that both death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the church has a charge to speak that which is good and holy and pure at all times. Eight times in St. Peter, the Lord speaks of church's conversation, how we communicate, and even admonishes us to be holy in all manner of conversation. 1 Peter chapters 1, verse 15 and 16. Our communication being yea, yea, and nay, nay alleviates or removes the opportunity for our flesh to expand the conversation or add to add thoughts or perceptions, opinions, or biases in what God calls vain jangling. That word jangling is another interesting word because it's only in the Bible one time. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16 and jangling just means randomly talking, babbling, or senseless speaking. In our humanity, we can overthink a thing and something which is nothing becomes a mountain in our minds. Anyone ever had that experience? Well, I'm going I'm to prove it to you for those who don't agree, or who may not. How many have ever expected your spouse or kids or parents to call you or come by and they did not? Hours go by, days go by, they're nowhere to be found. What's the human mind start to do sometimes? We start to think of all the terrible what-ifs, all the worst things, car wreck, and somehow a nuclear explosion happened, and it just happened to get just that one person. You know, just we, our minds think of all the craziest stuff that could have happened, but most of the time, none of that's happened. And while this part of the study has nothing to do with what I'm about to say, I need to take a, just a slight trail into it. This comes into fear. You know, fear is what? Unbelief. It's unbelief that God can. Unbelief that God is able. You know, and, and if you ever study about the amount of fears and phobias out there, there's a fear for everything. I mean, a person can be afraid of a pen. It's a pen. But to them, it's very real because it consumes and overwhelms them. Our mind starts thinking of all the what ifs. And this is where we've got to bring our mind in subjection to the Holy Ghost. 
bring every thought in captivity to the Holy Ghost. What you say, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God? What is worry? Because this comes down to worry, right? Worry is doubt. Doubt is what? Unbelief. If we worry and fret about stuff and life and the millions of what ifs, then how are we demonstrating faith and trust in God? If you cannot, this is really good. I should get an offering for this, okay? I'm just saying, God should get an offering for this. If you cannot change your thing or a diagnosis or whatever it may be, then why worry about it? You know, if the color of your hair, well, I don't have any much hair, but it's going pretty much gray. I can't do anything about the color of my hair. Why worry about it? Or how much it is or isn't there? You know, it is what it is. If you cannot change a thing or, or a diagnosis or whatever it may be, then why worry? This will just make you older and diminish your health. Because worry will, will cause a lot of health issues in your body. It will also affect the soundness of your mind. Let God deal with those things you have no control over. And if God lets it be, let it be. But don't worry about it. Your spouse, your kids, your parents, they'll call you. Even if it's a few days, they'll call you. Unbelief is what kept the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until the unbelieving died out. Lord, we do not have 40 years to get the unbelief out of us and our families. I pray that you would help us to get all the unbelief out now in this very hour, in this very season, that we can move forward into perfection. In the same way our minds work, so does our mouth. We can over-talk a situation and dig ourselves into a hole that there is absolutely no escape from. Once it's out of the lips, it's spoken, whether it be right or wrong, good or evil. Once it's out of the lips, it cannot be retracted and taken back. Once it's said, it's said. Yea, yea, and nay, nay can remove opportunity for our stinking, rotten flesh. And every time I see that word or write that out, I'm thinking, my stinking, rotten flesh. Okay? So I'm pointing back at me 100%. But it removes that opportunity for our flesh to give into unbelief and lies in hypocrisy. Yea, yea, and nay, nay can remove opportunity for casual, an unnecessary conversation and words that can be taken out of context so easily. Anyone ever said something and you meant it one way or it sent a text and you meant it one way, one spirit, and it got completely taken different than how you were trying to say it? Yea, nay removes the opportunity for your words being taken out of context. Yea, yea, nay, nay removes the chance for our flesh weighing in on a conversation where maybe we should be swift to hear Slow to speak, slow to wrath. James chapter 1, verse 19. Lord, quicken your people when to apply this text. Let your conversation be yea, yea, and nay, nay. Let's move on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 and 39. Ye have heard that it hath been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. In the Old Testament and even today, 
mankind are quick to what is the letter of the law. They're ready for judgment and punishment. You've seen that in your life? If you're in the wrong or someone feels you're in the wrong, they're ready. Man, it's your fault. I'm going to call my insurance. You're paying for my car. and you know, just, They're quick, quick. But, of course, if that person was on the other end of the receiving, they sing a different tune. Now, perhaps that's where mercy should abound for every one of us. Mankind leave no room for love in these matters, much less mercy and compassion and grace. An eye for an eye was established, so there was a just weight and balance. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11. That just weight and balance removes the opportunity for anything else weighing in. It is a just measure. And also it removes this eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, removes the place for mankind demonstrating revenge and vengeance, which is retaliation. And from the wrath of man, the wrath of man being the violent passion of men. But for us, we are to be the children of light, not the children of wrath, not the children of vengeance. In simplicity, do not avenge yourselves and do not defend yourselves, but leave this to the Lord to defend or not as he chooses. And for those who have heard me in this series or even in the Job series, I'm very quick to say it just doesn't matter in this life if you ever get vindicated. It doesn't. This whole world, the entire church can turn against you. No one can, everyone can forget your phone number and never call you again. It just doesn't matter. As long as you stay right with God, you walk with God in his precepts and his statutes, his ordinances, the only thing that matters is that we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I can't work out yours, you can't work out mine. That was free. Even if God never vindicates you in this life, he will in heaven for the faithful who overcome, meaning standing true and not giving in, not giving up. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 and 21. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, saith saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. How many have ever had an enemy, someone who was just adamant against you? Maybe they talked about you and they tried to destroy your good name and this and that and just it was atrocious how they treated you. And there was nothing you could do about it except for wait on God. People are going to say things behind your back because they're going to perceive and misperceive because everyone is flesh. But vengeance can't be yours. And vengeance isn't just the physical act of revenge. Vengeance can be words out of our mouth. Vengeance can be our body language. You know, those sideways smiles where, yeah, I love you. You know, you know what I mean? But you don't really, you're just, you're grinning and bearing it. If we understood this was really a heaven or hell issue, we'd never have that. This is really life and death. 
He says, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. How often do we do that? Do we talk a good game or do we put our money where our mouth is? I was going to have you all put your hands up, but I won't. How often, how often does someone really hurt you and offended you and you turn the other cheek and you ask God to just have compassion on them? not taking any thought for any harm coming to them. So I knew in doing this series, along with the Job series and the next one I'm going to do, that I would be getting really personal. I'd be sharing some things, me, I've gone through. Uh, which is not something I do a whole lot because sometimes when you open your heart up, you, uh, you end up getting hurt by people. And... Uh, but I knew doing this series, I'd have to open up some things because it's a witness of what God has been gracious in my life. And I'll tell you, for people who have, to the point of utterly destroying me, I have always kept the same model of prayer that, number one, God would forgive them. And I would pray very specific, and I would ask God if he would forgive them and cast it into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. When my daughter, she passed when she was 16, a really tragic accident, but there were some circumstances that led to that that was caused by someone. And I couldn't let that be upset of what that person did because I've got to understand eternity, heaven and hell, eternity. Not even one time did I ask God for revenge or to do something, but I asked God to forgive that person for what they did that led to the demise of my daughter. And I asked God to do it in such a way that when they got to heaven, and then this is almost word for word, that when they get to heaven, that not one thing they've ever done to me, my family, would ever keep them from going to heaven. And I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Because I understand eternity is very real. Heaven and hell is very real. I miss Jessica, my daughter. She's gone. I can't do anything about it. David, when his son passed, he got up, washed himself, he ate, and he said, well, I'm not God. Only God could bring her back. He washed, he ate, and he moved on with life. Not, not a cold thing. I'm, not a, I'm a daddy who lost a daughter, my only daughter my only daughter. I'll never walk her down the aisle to give her a marriage. That's forever gone. No grandkids, none of that. But I had to pray for that person because I wanted them to go to heaven and not go to hell. And I wanted it to be so specific that there was nothing they ever did or said about me that hurt me and my family that could even remotely keep them from going to heaven. It's more important that that person go to heaven than to go to hell and burn for the rest of their life. I do that same approach for every person who hurts me. There are things that have been done and said about me by people that I have set at this sanctuary laying 
on here weeping before God that he would do this same thing, even making a vow for some specific things that I would never mention it to one person on the planet because I don't want them to know how bad they hurt me. But I want them to go to heaven and not die. Is this okay? Well, way off my notes. This is truly heaven or hell. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. How important is it for you to get your name vindicated in this life? At work, as I have a part-time job working somewhere, there was someone who was uh, destroying my name, atrociously destroying my name. And I made up my mind, I'm not even going to defend myself. My manager, their manager, their manager contacted me and said, what in the world is this person doing and saying about you? We don't get it. And, I, and I, I said, I don't want to do anything at all. I just want to let God deal with this. And I refused to do anything. Within a few months, God resolved that. I got a promotion. I got a pay raise. I got a bonus. Six months later, I got another promotion. I say six months. I think it was six. It was very quick. I didn't ask for all that. But I made up my mind, you know what? It's not worth vengeance. So I kept my mind straight. I kept my heart straight. And I said, this is a God thing. You deal with this how you want to. My prayer is that you forgive, save them, and go from there. Is this still okay? Okay, okay. Turning the other cheek so you can be smote again physically or with words or actions is easy. When we have the mind of Christ understanding eternity and what will be, very soon. <clears throat> we still good? Good. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Twain means two. Have you ever been compelled to do something you, or go somewhere you really did not want to do? Now, I expected everyone to say yes. <clears throat> every parent and every child should have said Amen. Is how many parents want their kids to do something that their kids don't want to do? How many kids want to do something that your parents don't want to do? Okay, praise God. It's a two-way street. Um, but in the world and even in the church, when you get compelled to go the extra mile, go twain, the extra mile. It's interesting in the world they talk about, well, go the extra mile. So much in the world is, is taken from the Bible and they don't even realize it, but that's what this is talking about, go twain, go that second mile, the extra when you are compelled to go, go as a children of light. We must do this with the right attitude and spirit. You know, we just talked about an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you're compelled to go an extra mile and you're doing it begrudgingly, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do it. And you, you got those anger eyebrows going and everything else. And you know, you've got your revenge because they know your dissatisfaction. They compel you to go, go a mile, you go with them too. Demonstrate that as a Christian. Even if it's not something you want to do. If God has quickened you, you better do this. Go do it. And do it with joy unto God. It is a pleasure to get to do those things for God. Just like suffering in this world. It is a pleasure to get to suffer in this life. It's a pleasure to be rebuked by people, 
to be abandoned by people is a pleasure to be cast down to the ground and treated as nothing because it is all for the glory of God. You know, everything we go through in this life is nothing but a time and a season. We're born, we die, Ecclesiastes, time and season for all things. We do the best for what we have in this life. Go the extra mile and do it with your light shining bright so that it honors your Father which is in heaven. How many of you like putting a smile on your dad's face, knowing he's proud of you, he's happy with you? Okay. If we go that extra mile, we just let our light shine, be the salt and light to the earth, you can be sure that you're putting a smile on the face of God. He's looking down, that's my kid. You know, the, the opposite of that is he can look down and shake his head and say, not them again. Well, praise God. In the old days, a man was known by his children's actions and reactions, and this reflected on him as a father. His leadership and parenting skills, if he were an honorable man. People don't talk like this much anymore, but it's far better to be an honorable man, an honorable woman, than to be on the contrary. Even if the world doesn't want to have integrity and be honorable, it just doesn't matter. It's better for us to be honorable in this world. All that we do represents God. You know, when you go to your job or go to your school or go to the gas station or whatever it is, there may as well be a, a big sign in your chest that says, I represent God Almighty. Because everywhere you go, you represent God. If you've got to go to the doctor's office, you're representing God in the doctor's office. If you come to church, you're representing God everywhere you go. Whether we do right or wrong, good or evil, we represent God. And the world sees us. We are a witness for the Lord. And thinking about what glorifies God, maybe, maybe in everything we do and say and think, maybe in every action and reaction we have, perhaps we should ask ourselves one question. How will God be glorified if I do or say or think this or that? And I wonder that going the extra mile and not having wrath and letting your light shine and all these scriptures we've been talking about for, we're in four weeks. I wonder if we asked ourselves that question first, if how will this thing I'm about to do glorify God, how many things we might change? Or maybe words we were going to utter, maybe I shouldn't say that. Or maybe an expression to someone that, you're trying to win and maybe you're not real happy with them, those uh, subtle, subtle messages. Is this still okay? All that is must glorify God and anything otherwise is vanity and vexation. What could change our attitude if we stay God conscious without ceasing? The Lord promises to keep us in what? Perfect peace when we keep our minds stayed on him, right? Proverbs, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. So when you go the extra mile and let your light shine bright, you are being the light, the salt and light in this dark and tasteless world. If you don't go the extra mile, who will? If you 
don't make a difference in someone's life, who will? We come in contact with people sometimes just one time and only one time. You may go to a doctor's office and you see a nurse that you've never seen in your life and you may never see the rest of your life. And you may be, that encounter may be the only time she's exposed to someone with the Holy Ghost. What are we going to, man, I I hope you all feel the Holy Ghost like I do. What are we going to do with those opportunities that God puts in our path so that we might reach someone that they might be saved? I'll move forward because I hope I'm not boring y'all. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that, that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven who maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you, if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others do not even the publicans? So be therefore perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. As a Christian, brothers and sisters, we can have no biases. We cannot have cliques because we're one body. The foot can't say to the hands, I don't need you. The eyes can't say to the ears, I have no need for you. We are one body, one church, one people. We are not separate. We cannot see our enemies or families or coworkers and so forth in these groupings where we label and compartmentalize people but we must see each person as a person who must be saved lest they're going to die. The alternative is the second death, Revelation chapter 21, verse 7 through 8, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not, Mark chapter 9. So here's seven questions before we try to move forward. Seven questions about those you're at odds with, enemies, foes, family, whoever it may be. And then we'll move forward. Have you asked them to forgive you of anything you might have done or said? Have you asked God to forgive both of you, understanding that conflict is a two-way street? And I've counseled a lot of couples through the years, and I've never counseled one couple where it was only the husband's fault or only the wife's fault. It was always a two-way street. Always. Have you cooked or baked something just to bless them? Or maybe bought their meal at a restaurant? When was the last time you sincerely complimented them? We're talking about love. Let your light so shine before men. You're going to love this one. When was the last time you fasted and prayed for your enemies? For those you're at odds with? And I mean real prayer and fasting. Not that I'm going to give up Twinkies for a day. Okay? That's not fasting. But when was the last time you prayed and fasted, real prayer and fasting, where you were rented, weeping and wailing before the Lord that they might be saved? We talk a good game. God bless them. God save them. Let me move on down the road. There's somewhere else for me to go. Praise God. 
Lord, grant us an understanding of how real heaven or hell is. Lord, I ask you right now that you would grant us an understanding of how real heaven and hell is. Heaven and hell is. We talk about it, God. We hear about it. We teach about it. We minister about it. We hear it everywhere, God, but we may not have a revelation of how real heaven is and how real hell is and that every single person is going to go to one or the other. Let our minds be open. Let our hearts, God, be open that we might really see and hear and understand like you, God, so desire for us to that when we look, God, we look with the eyes of Jesus that we have on the mind of Jesus that we might attain to that precious crown and prize. God, grant us a revelation, something that will stay with us all the days of our life. Brother Darren has ministered in this church, Lord, a 24-hour prayer for some time, and this is one of those critical elements for us to come to that place, a 24-hour prayer. A church that prays together stays together. A church that prays together is a healthy church. I ask you, God, to grant revelation, God, that is not seasonal. Grant, God, Lord, a deliverance and victory that is not seasonal. We have seen that for decades. Where, God, you come in and there's change for a season. There's change for a time. And then six months later, we're back doing the same thing we used to do. That we know we shouldn't be doing given place to our flesh and all the junk that you, God, did not call us to do. I pray, God, something be solidified in every one of us, Lord, that would take us past where we are today. Take us, God, to a deeper relationship, a deeper calling and commitment. Grant us a revelation of how real heaven or hell is. Grant us, God, a revelation in Jesus' name. Number six, when was the last time you told that person you loved them? those at odds with you when was the last time the person who came up and slapped you in the face with their hands or words you said I love you Jesus loves you not with that crooked smile I'm talking about impurity of heart impurity of spirit have you asked them if you could share your testimony for what God has done in your life I wonder for those at odds with us what would happen if we did anything, compliment anything, something in the name of Jesus that would glorify God, what might make a difference in their life, that they might be saved. Through the Old New Testament, we were admonished to be perfect. Six times in Leviticus, God tells us, be holy, for he is holy. And again, it's echoed in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 and 16. It is attainable to be holy and perfect. Otherwise, God would not have told us, be holy, be perfect. A father doesn't look down at his kids and say, I want you to add up that, that math, two plus two. He's not going to ask you to do it unless he knows you can do it. He knows what your capabilities are. God knows what your capabilities are. Wow. I'm not even, God knows what he put in you. And sometimes I wonder if we have a revelation of how, how deeply he loves us 
He called us to be holy and perfect. This, where are we at time-wise? We've got eight minutes. I think we can do this in eight minutes. So this is for someone right now. I felt in the Holy Ghost two days ago to add this in my notes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through this and talk through what God put in my spirit. When Maybe for someone in the sanctuary, maybe someone in the recording. Sir, ma'am, you can either accept the voice of failure as it cries out, you can't be perfect or holy. You fail too much. You're past the point of return. You can't even feel God like you used to. You deal with sin every single day. You can't keep the thoughts straight in your mind anymore, wondering. It's just flooded with all types of things in your mind. You don't know how to pray and fasting is not even close on your radar. The devil is a liar. You need to gird up your loins like a man, like a woman. God has never failed you, and he never will. And are you struggling and failing? Yes. But do you know that the Lord called you into this glorious gospel, and God does not make mistakes? If you have not studied about the adoption of sons and daughters, we are of the adoption. And for anyone that's ever gone through that process of adopting kids knows that it's a lengthy process and the parents evaluate the kids, good, bad, habits, all that stuff, and they handpick who they want to adopt. This is what God did for you and I. He looked through seven billion people evaluating the world, adoption, and says, I want you. I want you. He handpicked every single one of you. David, in his lowest place, had no man to care for him. But, he, but what did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 30. He revisited in his thoughts the past victories, miracles, revivals. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Our errors, we rely on self and people way too much. We can't compare ourselves to ourselves or other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And I'm going to tell you, I'm thankful for every brother and sister, but to be transparent, I never come to church for even any of you, not even one. I've never one day come to church because of the people in church. Not once, and I never will. I'm only here because of God and for Him. You are only here for Him. I love every one of you, but God is my everything. It's God that met me and saved me. I owe, we owe, God our everything. Our confidence, brothers and sisters, must be grounded and settled in the Lord alone. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord declares being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sir, ma'am, you may have to drink milk, milk of the word, for the next 12 months, then drink milk to get your strength up. This will build up your bones and your resolve, and once you're restored, strength will come to hold up the rest of you, that you might endure and fulfill the course that God set before you. This concludes chapter 5. And we have four minutes. 
<laughs> I really was hoping to have 20 minutes for prayer. <laughs> but the Lord's good. I think because we've got four minutes, I'm going to talk just a little bit overview about prayer. Next week and the week after, like I said, we'll be virtually 100% dedicated to talking about prayer and fasting. We're going to talk about the different types of prayer. We're talking about the two types of fast. Many testimonies, many testimonies. Um, some will be maybe too hard to believe, but they'll be true, every one of them. Um, does anyone know what prayer means? Just communication. You and I, I'm talking right now, it's just communicating. It's just talking. So I'll give you just a thought, because I don't want to go into the Hebrew and Greek definitions and all that with so few minutes left. But prayer is just simply communicating, talking with God. Just as for those who are parents, you have your kids, they come talk to you and they ask you for things and they desire things. They need your comfort. They need your compassion. They need your help. They need you to put your arms around them and hold them. That's us praying to God because it's him that looks down. Let me wrap my arms around you. I've got this. And I hope you all feel the Holy Ghost like I do. I can't remember. It's just been overwhelming. I, if, I, if I could jump out of my seat, I'd jump out. And I'm a, just a jacket anyway. Praise God. Oh, Jesus. Words, words, words. <laughs> um, prayer. We've got seven days till we come back and we start talking about prayer. And if I could challenge you to something, is I challenge you to spend, spend time. If you spend an hour a day in prayer, praise God. If you spend more, praise God. But spend time in prayer, communing with God, one-on-one, -on -one, just you and him. One of my notes through these pages about sometimes when we pray, we multitask. We're so bad about that. Well, I'll pray while I'm driving to work, and I'll, well, I'll, I'll pray while I'm doing this and that, and we're not giving God our undivided attention. It, it's, like, it's like we're saying, God, I believe you and I trust you, but let, let me, I've got to take care of these things. Don't you know how important my life is? God, don't you understand? I've got all these things, these aspirations, these things I want to do. I, I, I. You know, that word I probably should be removed out of our vocabulary more often than it is. But what if we began a regimen of prayer that pushed everything to the side, got rid of all the electronic devices. Man, got rid of all the distractions. And we're just single focused on God. We've seen in this church house, we, this last weekend, the, the Holy Week, when people pray, really pray, God meets God comes in like a flood, but it's when we get focused and we're single vision to him. If I could challenge you anything is get single vision to him. We're going to talk more about this prayer and so forth. And I know we're at time. Um, I love you all very dearly. I can't tell you how bad I wanted to spend 20 minutes talking about prayer today. But we're going to have a good time next Wednesday and the Wednesday after. Let's, uh, let's pray for, uh, for each of us and everyone as we leave the church and our families. And all. Lord, we thank you for this session. We thank you for every scripture. 
ever meaning, your, your word, your interpretation, your glory, your all. I ask you to sow your word in our hearts. Sow your word upon the tables of our hearts. Sow, God, your word upon our ears as mufflers, upon our eyes as frontlets, God. Sow your word on our tongues. Sow your word, God, on our inward members. We, God, desire you more than anything in this world. And I ask you, oh God, we ask you collectively as a body that you, Lord, would meet us for your name's sake, that you, God, would show your glory. I read, God, places in the Old Testament where the children of of Israel, their prayers came up as a memorial before you, and your word says you remembered your covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Noah upon the ark, you said you remembered Noah. Lord, remember Truth Church. Remember these men and women, your sons and your daughters. I ask you to remember your covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. When you look upon these people, remember your covenant promise that is not null or void, and that you, God, would direct us in the ways of holiness and truth. Help us, God. Equip us and strengthen us in all that glorifies your name. And if there be anything contrary in any of us, God, tear it out of us as it were a deadly cancer. Come on, church. We may as well pray. we got a few minutes. If there be anything in us contrary to sound doctrine and holiness and truth, God, search us diligently and tear it out of us. We don't want anything in of us in us save what is right by your word. Anoint us, God, in every step. Anoint us in our thoughts. Anoint us in our actions. Anoint us, God, when we lay down to sleep. I pray, God, that you would put your hand on every person in their dreams that you would meet them. When they rise in the morning, that you would give them a song of worship and a song of praise and glad hosannas to you. As they go through the highways and the hedges, let every billboard be a reminder of you. Let every stop sign be a reminder in this life, God, a continual reminder of the glory of God, of the mercies of God. Let our minds be stayed upon you that you, God, would keep us in perfect peace at all times. If there be any, God, in this house or that will listen to this recording, God, that are struggling in the soundness of their mind, the issues of the mind, the thoughts, the motives, the desires, the things, God, that sometimes we just don't have control of in our flesh, I pray, God, peace where there has been no peace. I pray, God, deliverance where there has been no deliverance. Grant, God, soundness of mind and soundness of heart. God, we call on you and we pray and we believe you. In that precious name that's above every name. Everyone say in Jesus' name. I'm sorry we went three minutes over. Forgive me. I love y'all. Be blessed in the name of Jesus.